and that's in your worship folder. Uh, you'll notice there's some information about the LCIW uh, prison ministry for women. Uh, and so the last day to sign up is actually on the 15th. That's this coming Wednesday. So please speak with Michelle if you're interested in taking part in that. And secondly, you'll notice also in the worship bulletin that there's some information, a testimony about Peter and Degwa and what Michael referenced. So uh, take some time later and read that. Not right now. All right. So read it later um, and see what's going on with Peter and how Crosspoint is ministering through him. Well, let us pray as we uh, as we open God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with hungry hearts, souls that are hungering for uh, for your word. And so we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we ask that you would teach us the truth of your word this morning. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would even open our eyes to see the truth of your word and our minds to comprehend the truth of your word and work within our own hearts, Lord, to love the truth of your word so that we would be strengthened to live it out. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm 34. Our text this morning is the uh, entire psalm, Psalm 34. It's 22 verses, and we'll walk through it uh, quickly, but we'll, we'll walk through it. And so... The title of the message this morning is God, Our Refuge. And as Mr. Al said earlier, the theme is the fear of the Lord. But there are several themes throughout this psalm. We see the theme of praising God. We see the theme of finding refuge in God. We see the theme of God delivering his people. But really foundationally, at the at the foundational level, we see this theme of the fear of the Lord. In fact, fear is mentioned five times throughout the entirety of Psalm 34. So if you found your place in Psalm 34, would you say amen? And follow along as I read. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days? That he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears 
and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Symbol of our arrogance toward God can be found in the epigram carved over a saloon door on the Titanic. Anyone know what it said? Not even God can sink this ship. The blasphemy still rots at the bottom of the Atlantic. Today, many have no fear of God. Instead, if we listed our fears, our fears might include things like nuclear war, nuclear arsenals, cancer, AIDS, the sun's radiation, budget deficits, the tanking or stock market crashing, loss of freedom, for some loss to bear arms, moral decline of our nation. Many things would be on that list of fear. But for many people, God is not on that list. Many view God at best as a retired chairman of the board, one who has a position of honor but no real power. Even those in the church might salute or memorialize or even ritualize God, but many, many, many remain unconvinced that he really can or will act in our lives. Well, Psalm 34 gives us a testimony from David of how God has worked, has acted, has moved in David's life and has brought him and delivered him, brought him out of the shadows of darkness and delivered him. It tells us of how God has, has worked in David's life and he's experienced the goodness of God firsthand. And so in this psalm, we see that God actually does involve himself in the lives of his people. He not only hears his saints, his holy ones, but here's what he does. He responds with action in the lives of his children. So this morning, I want us to see God's faithfulness leads us to praise him continuously, to trust him completely and experience his goodness as we learn to fear him in our daily lives. So I want to give you two assurances, two assurances for the church this morning. The first one is verses one through ten. And that's what we have already been doing through music this morning. It's individual praise fuels congregational praise. I think this is an important point for us to grapple with this morning because it highlights one of the reasons that we gather together for corporate worship. We find solidarity in the gospel community that we join together with, and it encourages us to worship God together. And so kind of here's the scene as we as we come to church gathering to worship the Lord together on, on the Lord's day. We're like weary travelers on a heavenly journey. That are buffeted throughout the week, we're wounded, we're hurting. We've done battle with internal and internal sin and we've we've done battle externally with sin. And then on Sunday morning, we gather together with fellow travelers, fixing our eyes on the goal of obtaining Christ, our salvation. And we need to hear the testimony of others. 
their testimonies of praise of how God is working powerfully so that we might be encouraged to have our own hearts lifted. Listen to what David says in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. David begins this psalm in verses 1 through 3 with a declaration of praise. Bless the Lord, it's the word for worship, but it it shares this root with the word for kneel in the Hebrew language. And what it does is it invokes our physical bodies, it invokes from us, from God's people, literally a posture of worship before God, a humble posture of submission before God. And so what David's saying here is, I, I bless the Lord, I worship Him physically, I take on a posture of humility. I praise the Lord. Even with my vocalization, I speak to the Lord and I magnify his name and I exalt him, lift him up continually, all day, all the time. This is this is what we people, this is what we were made for. We were made to give God glory. We were made to be worshipers. Think about it. We're always worshiping something, aren't we? God has created us to worship him. And so he wants his life at all times to be lived in a way, in a posture, in a word of praise to God. This is how Paul challenges the believers in the Colossian church. In Colossians 3.17, he says to them, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, David's praise and boasting in the Lord is infectious. Look at what he says in verse 2. Let the humble hear and be glad. Those who are hearing his praise, let them hear and be glad. The humble are those who are weak. And so David's speaking to a, a group of weak people, those who have struggled, those who have been buffeted by the world, those who have many fears that are assailing them from the outside, as we'll see in a moment. And so he invites them. He invites the congregation to join him in worshiping and in praising God. And so he says, let us, oh, let us, or oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come and, and praise him with me and let us exalt his name together. In other words, let us make much of God. And it literally means to come and to enlarge God, to make him big with our praise. And then to exalt him is to raise him up. And this is what worship does. This is what David is saying. This is what our worship does. It unites our hearts together and it proclaims the bigness and the greatness of God by raising him up and declaring his worthiness. And so when the humble hear it and are glad, their souls are lifted up joyously in God's presence. You see, the fruit of praise of the weak is joy in our lives and strength that comes from being in the presence of God. And so individual praise fuels congregational praise. Oh, let us magnify the Lord and exalt him together. And so individual praise fuels congregational praise through testifying of God's deliverance. Look at verses Four through seven, David was at a weak point in his life. 
fear from the outside was encompassing him and circumstances were difficult for him. So he says in verse four, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from my fears. Ever been there? Where outward circumstances were caving in on you. The outward circumstances of life were causing great fear. And it made you realize that you're weak. You're unable to change your circumstances. There's nothing you can do. There's no power within yourself to change the circumstances that you're in. In verse 6, he says, this poor man, speaking of himself, cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Here's what he's saying I did. I was poor. I was humble. I was weak. And I came to the Lord and I cried out to the Lord for help. And here's the thing about God. He's mighty to save. That's what David's saying. Do you know the testimony of the Lord this morning that he's mighty to save? That God doesn't just come and speak words of comfort in the midst of our trials and troubles. I mean, he's he's in the midst of a very real trial and trouble here. And he's not looking just for a comforting word from God. No, he's looking for God's hand to be active and take action in his life. And so he comes to God and he prays before God and cries out to him. And God hears him and God acts faithfully in the midst of David's situation. What I want to hear, want us to hear this morning is that God acts faithfully in our trials and troubles as well. Listen, he's the all-powerful God who created and orders the cosmos. And for the child of God, there's nothing to fear. Hear Paul's words in Romans 8, 38 and 39. He says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor fear, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is an eternal security in the Lord Jesus Christ for all those who take refuge in God. And this is what David is saying this morning. Come, let us magnify our Lord together. Let us delight together in him. Let us encourage one another from from our testimonies. Let us seek the Lord and let us testify of God's deliverance. I can't wait for the day when Fatty stands before us and testifies of God's deliverance in his life. And all of us can hear it. All of us can see a brother get baptized. And symbolically raised from the grave. I can't wait for that day. And as we look unto God, in the midst of affliction, here's the setting, in the midst of affliction and outward struggles that he's having, as we look to God, verse 5 says, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. In other words, there's an inward and an outward transformation so that our countenance is changed as we look unto God for our refuge and our deliverance. And here's what happens. God removes our shame and causes our faces to be radiant with the joy of his presence. Think about Moses when he's coming down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments the second time. And when he came down from the mountain, Exodus 34 records it for us. It says that his face literally glowed because he had been in God's presence. 
So much so that the people of God were even afraid to approach him when his face was glowing and he was conveying to them what the Lord had spoken to him and told him to command his people. His face was radiant from being in the presence of God. And the people saw it and they knew that he had been with God. Or at the end of Acts chapter 6 and and Acts chapter 7, we're given the account of, of Stephen one of the deacons of the early church in Acts. He was standing before his accusers in Acts 7, and he was preaching the gospel from the Old Testament, from Abraham all the way to Christ. And he was speaking to the scribes, the religious leaders, the Jewish ruling council. And as he was speaking to them, he was telling them that they were the ones who had murdered the very Messiah that the prophets had spoken about, the prophets that their fathers had even persecuted. And in the midst of a hostile crowd, Stephen didn't fear man, but he feared God. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they began stoning him. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out to the Lord Jesus. Right. What did he say? As he called out to them, he said, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out again with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I want to submit to you. That being in the presence of God and looking unto God in the midst of our affliction causes us to be radiant and fills our lives with joy and strengthens us in the most difficult of circumstances and situations. If you even listen, Acts chapter 6, verse 15, at the end of Acts chapter 6, it says as he was brought into that council before the scribes and the Jewish ruling elders They gazed at him, and all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He was radiant from being in God's presence, from walking with God. And the challenge for us this morning, the charge, the encouragement for us, is to know the presence of the Lord and to come into his presence and to experience his goodness. Verse 7 invites us to reject the fear of man and embrace the fear of God. You see, to fear God is to revere him. We can trust and know that God delivers all those who fear him, who place their trust in him. And the testimony of God's deliverance fuels the praise of God's people. That's what David is saying here in this psalm. And that's what we need to hear this morning as we come together and worship together. We need to share our testimony with one another, what God is doing in our lives, how God is working. Is God alive? Yes. Is he working in our lives? I hope so. Let that work that he's doing in our lives bring us to a point of encouraging one another and praising God so that together our hearts are unified as we lift God's name and magnify him and exalt him. We need to hear how God is working in one another's lives. I need to hear it. I need to hear what God is doing in your life. 
Your brother, your sister needs to hear how God is working in your life. Individual praise fuels congregational praise by also inviting us to experience the goodness of God. We see this in verses 8 through 10. Listen, God is good. Not just morally. God is good toward his children relationally. We're told of his goodness through the testimony of others, but we're invited here to experience his goodness personally. Verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a using our senses to come and to experience the goodness of God. Taste and see that he's good. All who take refuge in him are blessed. Are you taking refuge in God this morning? You see, the fear of the Lord brings about the experience of tasting his goodness and his provision. Verses 8 through 10 tell us that those who take refuge in him will lack nothing. And as his holy saints, his holy ones, we're called to reflect his righteous character in the world. As God's people, we're to live in a way that's consistent with his holiness. And in doing so, the promise is that we'll lack no good thing. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew, 25, uh, Matthew 6, 25 and 33. In the Sermon on the Mount, he tells his disciples and all those who are listening, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We're invited to come taste and see that the Lord is good to experience his goodness, to fear the Lord and to lack nothing. And he gives us an illustration in verse 10. In all their power and strength, lions are known to run out of food and to go hungry. And so he says in verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord Lack no good thing. And those who turn away from God find themselves in the same difficult situation as a lion. Not having that which satisfies in life, but those who seek the Lord, he's saying, they will be satisfied. In the New Testament, James tells us that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. You see, experiencing the goodness of God begins by first coming to Christ and being satisfied in him. He says in in the Gospel of John, he says, I'm the bread of life. And he offers the bread of life. He offers us a living water that will satisfy our hungry souls as nothing else on earth can. And the point is, we were created for so much more than the fleeting pleasures that this life offers. We were created to enjoy the goodness of God. And Jesus invites us, Jesus invites us for all who are weary, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, all who are weary, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let me ask you this morning, can you testify of God's deliverance in your life? Have you tasted the goodness of God? Have you tasted that God is good? Have you experienced his goodness? 
oh, let us magnify the Lord together. Let us exalt his name together this morning, church. The first assurance is that the individual praise of God's people fuels the corporate praise or the congregational praise of God's people. But our second assurance this morning is this. God is our refuge from affliction. We see this in verses 11 through 22. If we're to know the refuge of God, we first must know Jesus Christ as Savior and Redeemer of our lives. He says in verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The psalmist invites us to learn the secret to loving life, to living long and to enjoying God's goodness. We see that in verses 11 through 14. And as we read. In verse 12, there's a question that he poses. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? The question here really is, what do you really want? Do you want to love long life and see many good things from God? Well, here's how to do it. Live in the will of God. And he says it in verses 13 and 14. Practically, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You see, he calls us to learn the fear of the Lord. The reality is we don't instinctively turn to God. In fact, we're tempted to take control of our own destinies. We're tempted to look for satisfaction and help outside of God. But as children are exhorted to learn from their fathers, so we're exhorted to learn from the psalmist here. You see, the fear of the Lord calls us to revere the Lord in every way in our lives. From church to marriage to sexuality to fatherhood to vocation to politics to emotions to the words we speak. In all ways, we are exhorted to learn the fear of the Lord, to revere the Lord in our lives. Al Walters, Albert Walters, in a book called Creation Regained, speaks to this. He says, both God and Satan lay claim to the whole of creation, leaving nothing neutral or undisputed. All of life is created and ordained by God for our enjoyment. But sin has grossly distorted the way we use God's good gifts in creation. And so we must learn to revere God in all of life. You see, the secret to loving life, living long and seeing the good of the Lord and is learning to revere God. And so the verses of 13 and 14 are just very practical. We need to put a guard over our mouths. Practically, we must seek to guard what we say. Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. And then practically, verse 14, we must give ourselves to the pursuit of peace. Verse 14 has four commands. The first one is negative. Turn away from evil, right? That means practically in our lives, we are turning away and not not doing those things which are evil. We're seeking actively to guard against them in our lives. But then three positives. Do good, seek peace, and pursue it. The bigger picture here is don't just focus on the negative things that we don't do, but instead focus on those which are positive. Those who have believed in Christ and have turned to him are equipped by the Holy Spirit to do what this psalm is saying. Let us give our energy 
in our work to seeking God's good pleasure in life, enjoying Him in all things. This what, isn't this what Paul was saying in Philippians 2.13? For it's God who's at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I remember my mentor, Tim LaFleur, saying, every morning when we wake up, there needs to be a funeral and a resurrection. Right? We put self to death and are raised to new life. And so here's the point. God is our refuge from affliction. We can run to him. And in the midst of coming to him, the psalmist is exhorting us and teaching us, come, children, learn, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. We must learn the secret of loving life, living long and enjoying the goodness of God is directly connected with the fear of the Lord in our lives. Reverence for God, living according to his will. And as we continuously turn to Christ, we're separating ourselves from everything that destroys our communion with God. You see, this is the role of the priest in a broken world. As Christ brings reconciliation into our brokenness, so we as the people of God are bringing reconciliation to the brokenness of others and to the brokenness of our world. And so how do we how do we love life, live long? And enjoy God's goodness. We do it by living in the fear of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our calling is a holy calling. It's one of a holy life. Let me ask you, are you experiencing the joy that comes from finding refuge in God? Are you truly delighting in him? Enjoying his goodness? Loving long days and loving life? Does that describe your life? Listen, we're not to focus on the list of don'ts in our Christian pursuit of God. Let us focus on enjoying him, walking in his commands, in his ways, living for him as his holy saints. So God is our refuge from affliction also because God's favor rests upon the righteous for deliverance. Look at verses 15 through 22. God's concern is for the faithful. We see his fatherly concern here in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. We see God's fatherly care. He listens and again he acts on behalf of those who trust in him. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Listen, he comes to us in the midst of our troubles, believer. In the midst of difficulty, God the Father comes to us. He meets us where we are. And he's our refuge. Verse 18 tells us, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Now, the brokenhearted here doesn't simply mean sadness as we might think. No, it, it speaks of deep depression. It speaks of overwhelming discouragement. And in the midst of afflictions of life and deep depression and overwhelming discouragement, here's what he says, the Lord draws near and he saves the Christian spirit. God not only offers comfort in affliction, but here's what he does. He delivers us out of affliction. 
and verse 19 tells us that though the, the faithful suffer the affliction or suffer afflictions, many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Lord delivers him out of them all. Listen, God doesn't promise a life of ease. But here's what he does promise. He promises deliverance through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, hear this. Though sin infects us, he forgives our sin. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When our flesh rebels... We know in the New Testament the promises that Christ himself has crucified our flesh. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And though Satan harasses us, he arms us against Satan. Ephesians 6.15-18, the armor of God being equipped with the word of God. And though the world tempts us, he delivers us from the world. First John 2, 15 through 17 and verse 17 says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And listen, believer, though death threatens us, he promises resurrection from the dead. Romans 6, 5. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. His. We see God's deliverance through Christ in the lives of his faithful. God's concern is for his children. His eyes look upon us. His ears hear us. And so when we come to him and cry out to him, he is there and he delivers us. Secondly, we see that God's opposition is to the faithless. God's concern is for the faithful, but his opposition is to the faithless. Verses 16 and 21 show us this. Verses 16 and 21 speak of the faithless and God's judgment against them. Look at verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. You know, there's something in our nature to want to be remembered. Perhaps it's a negative consequence of the fall and of death. People want to live on in the memory of others past their earthly lives. And I, I think it's a noble desire. We hope that our lives will count for something, and we, we hope that our lives make a positive contribution to society or at least to the ones that we love, to our loved ones around us. And for a few people in history, relatively speaking, buildings or monuments are erected, and their memory lives on for a time. But understand what verse 16 says. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. It's a terrible thing to experience the displeasure of God's face against us. And the strong statement that the Lord will cut off the memory of those who do evil from the earth is a fearful and dreadful thing. It doesn't matter how many buildings or monuments are built in our memory. What ultimately matters in the end is whether or not we have refuge in God and are counted among the faithful 
are the faithless. God's favor rests upon the righteous for deliverance. And in verse 21, he says, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. There is judgment for all those who align themselves with the world and against God, against Christ, his savior. Finally, this morning, I want to show you God's extravagant grace for redemption in verses 20 and 22 This is an extravagant claim for the faithful. Look at what he says in verse 20. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Are we to understand from this verse that all who who follow God and are faithful in following him will never have a broken bone? That's not what he's saying here. Are we to understand that those who who follow God will never be persecuted and their lives never be snatched away? No, that's not what he's saying here either. Instead, what he's saying here is is that all those who look to Christ, they will in the end find deliverance. This verse doesn't mean that we'll never break a bone or that some other tragedy won't befall us. Instead, it points us prophetically to Christ. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 36, John quotes from this verse speaking of Christ's death on the cross. And he says, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. It speaks of Christ, how though he died on the cross, was crucified, was buried and raised from the dead. Not one of his bones were broken in the midst of his suffering and persecution. So in verse 22, he says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You see, there's a promise of redemption for all who believe in Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. It's the promise of hope. It's the promise of eternal life. And it's the security that all who profess faith in Christ, repenting of their sin, as Drew spoke about earlier during our time of confession, and and calling out to Christ and, and, and believing upon him, all those who do this are taking refuge in God. All those who do this have believed upon Christ and surrendered their lives to him will take refuge in God. And so Psalm uh, John 17, 24, Jesus prayed for his disciples and said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And hear the promise of Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this morning. When you stand before God. Will you be found as a faithful one? Or a faithless one? One who has found refuge in God through Christ. Or one who has rejected God because of Christ. Do you know the secret of living long, loving life and experiencing the goodness of God? 
Is your life, can your life be characterized by living in the fear of the Lord? And this morning, is God your refuge? If he's not, I want to encourage you to make him your refuge this morning. You can do that by confessing your sin before the Lord, repenting and professing your faith and believing and belief in Jesus Christ. And you do that through prayer, by praying right where you are, confessing your sin before him, asking him to come into your life, surrendering your life to him. And you will find refuge in Christ. You will find joy in Christ. This morning, believer, I want to encourage you to share your testimony with others. And so as we come together in praise of the Lord, that your individual, our individual testimonies will show others that, listen, life in Christ is not It's not boring. It's to be lived full of joy. It's to be in joy. We're to enjoy God, enjoy his presence, enjoy his goodness toward us. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness in our lives and your hand in our lives. And we ask God that you would strengthen us today. That we might be. Like David in Psalm 34, that though weak, we might experience the strength that comes from you. Lord, would you strengthen our souls? Would you refresh us and revive us? And Lord, as we sing your praise now, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?